Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here we are again for my annual visit with Roberta Anding, one of my favorite people in sports and life. She is a dietitian for the Houston Astros. She has her championship ring, yes. right? You got that. Uh, she is a dietitian for Rice Athletics. She also teaches at Rice, and she teaches at Baylor College of Medicine. You got it. And you work with the orthopedics department at Baylor uh, also? At orthopedics and corporate programs. So she's been around uh, since the very beginning of the Houston Texans. She was a dietitian with the Texans when I was there. That's how I got to know her. Uh, so I'm fascinated whenever I talk to her about baseball players because I, I just – it's a whole different world, and I – I put myself in the position of a baseball player, and I think immediately on the dietary side of things, how awful I would be at everything. <laughs> like, because when I travel, Roberto, when I travel, I have no self-control. I, like, I go on every vacation. I'm like, okay, I'm going to work out every day in the gym, and then I'm going to go down. I'm going to have an egg white omelet, yeah. and it all falls apart like all, the first yeah, day. Yeah, absolutely all falls apart. Baseball players are unique in the fact it's a really long season with a lot of games, right? And there's more downtime in the clubhouse than there would be in football. Football, you know, your day is micromanaged, and guys just don't have that level of time commitment. It's not that they're not there for a long time, not that they're not working hard, but they've got a little bit more discretionary time right. built in. So the key is, what are you bringing into the clubhouse? What kind of food do you bring into the clubhouse? And there's always food there. Always food all there. All the time, right? There's a all buffet everywhere. All the time. So it sound, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like what I've heard about Hollywood movie sets, <laughs> where there's food there. So it almost like part of being a Hollywood actor or actress is having the incredible discipline to stay gaunt while there's like really, <laughs> really? good food around yeah. all the time. Yeah. So that's something that, and, and we see it with the Astros. I think it's a credit to the players and then you personally as well. Like they're all generally, it's a pretty fit baseball team. I think, of course I'm very biased and I'll just, I'll call it right now. I think it is a very fit baseball team and we also control what's brought into the clubhouse. So it's going to be better for you choices. We have a fabulous chef in Logan Baker, and we have really good food, and we have lots of vegetables, lots of fruit, a smoothie station, all the things that you would anticipate. But again, when you have a lot of time, it's easy to just go in and grab another snack and another snack. And this is a group of unbelievably disciplined men. Because you can overeat on healthy food. Absolutely right? you can. And that's something you have to teach probably young kids especially when they're still getting away with They've, they've come up through high school or sometimes the minor leagues and their metabolism mm -hmm. is still cranked up. And then you get to the majors and you're staying at the best hotels. You've got the best right. food in the clubhouse. Right. It's always there. And also maybe their metabolism starting to be more adult. A more adult-like, yeah. Right. yeah. Well, because in baseball, guys, by the time they make it to – in football, you're dealing with rookies who are 22 years old. 
In baseball, more 16, often, 17. your rookies, right? Well, your 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 true rookies in the minors are very young. Very young. So I guess you can start molding them earlier on. You can, and I think it be, what makes baseball just a blast is it's so multicultural, right? So you have a lot of Latin players, the Dominican, Venezuela, and so they bring in really unique ways of eating and styles of eating, and then you try and get them to retain their cultural diet, but you also kind of add on other things that they might not have been exposed to at home, like broccoli and, you know, cauliflower and things that they just didn't eat growing up. So it really is an unbelievably great education strategy, Mm -hmm. starting from spring training all the way through the whole entire year. I never thought about that part of it. I know it makes sense that guys wouldn't have as much here as they might have had at home because it's different. But I never thought about, like, the whole introduction of plants yeah. And other things that they just wouldn't have even seen there. Wouldn't like have I had it. thought it from that perspective. Yeah, wouldn't have had it. And so the goal is to craft a nutrition program that respects someone's culture, things that they grew up with, and then we end up modifying it to make it a better choice for you. So, for example, instead of fly- frying plantains, we figured out a way to oven bake them so they're still sweet. And so now we've modified their cultural diet into something that's a better option for them. I get I get in trouble with these plantain chips, Roberta. <laughs> these Inca plantain chips because I feel like okay, it's not. I think they're relatively low glycemic, yes, right? Yes. Because they're green plantains. Yes. I mean they're 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 made with palm oil, and I know that's not good. <laughs> but if I'm trying to limit my my You're overall carbon it. take and everything, no. But it's like anything else. It's also it's so easy. It's eight servings of it. So I got to back off on that. You got to back off. I got to figure out a way to bake my plantain chips. And I can hook you up with our chef, and he'll <laughs> tell you how to do it. The other part of the baseball lifestyle, and this is something that I keep seeing different studies about, and we actually, I, I've got a friend who who fixed his sleep apnea and all of a sudden lost 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's the sleep aspect of things. And I know Justin Verlander convinced Alex Bregman that he wasn't sleeping enough. He had to get 10 to 12 hours of sleep a night. Have you seen that directly, like this correlation between getting a good night's sleep and then your ability to eat healthy because of it? Oh, absolutely. So one, you get changes in your background hormones when you're sleep deprived. So we know that people who are sleep deprived uh, can be just as dangerous behind the wheel as someone who's had something to drink or, you know, some kind of other legal substance. I think the challenge, real challenge with baseball, particularly for us, is we're West Coasters, right? Right. So we play in Seattle. you got a huge flight back, and then you might have a 7 o'clock game. So you get in at 3, and then you got to be to the clubhouse. So um, our director, uh, our medical analyst, um, Bill Furcus, has done a fabulous job of bringing in sleep specialists to tell guys how to get better quality sleep being a baseball player. And I think, again, having a veteran leadership like a Justin Verlander in the clubhouse, who obviously future Hall of Famer, he is that guy. His words are infinitely more important than mine because he's someone everybody wants to be. Yeah, that's the the proof is in the pudding. Absolutely. Like you're an idiot not to follow Justin Verlander. (laughs) doing. Like he's getting into his upper 30s and he's still trucking along. Yeah, I... Because I know just because my job, I'm up at 3.30 in the morning, 4 in the morning sometimes, and I know how hard it is to maintain. For me to get eight hours of sleep, I got to block out like two hours in the afternoon. Yeah. And it gets to be real erratic, and you got to be almost maniacal about it to do it. And I can get away with not doing it because I'm not out playing baseball in front of you know thousands but, of people. But then night. think about it, though. You're also up for longer periods of time, and when you're fatigued and you don't feel good, people generally grab a snack. So not only is it changes in background hormones like cortisol and some of the other ones, you've also got more 
time where mm-hmm. you can eat when you're awake. Oh right? yeah. It's and so it's, just, a it's a bigger window of eating. Yep. If you've got if you've got 19 hours got that it. you're awake and possibly eating. Yep. So aside from having lower willpower, you've also got more time to be affected by the lower willpower. Absolutely. No kidding. And that's, that's why some people are jumping into what's called time restricted feeding. Right. Meaning that you fasting. Sh- well, intermittent or fasting is a little bit different in the fact that it's generally decided that you eat what you normally do a couple days a week and then you alternate that with significantly lower calories. That's intermittent fasting. Time-restricted feeding is you just, let's say you set your clock that you're going to have your first meal no earlier than 10 and you're going to stop at 6. Okay. You're just limiting the number of hours that you're exposed to food. And it's easier to, because I've experimented with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I've found is that when you do get hunger pains, it's a lot easier when you know, when you can anticipate and you know what the plan is. Yeah. So when you're off, and then you also sometimes, 2,500 calories compressed into a six-hour window feels like you're gorging yourself. Gorging. Right. So you almost feel like, oh, I'm on a Roman holiday or something here. <laughs> but you're like not, a, right? Right, you're not. You're so not. you have that to look forward to. So you almost feel like you're splurging even though you're not. But you've also described what, I mean, you, got, you, you created a structure, right? You've structured it where you're going to limit the time that you're going to eat. So I think structure helps everybody with with any kind of nutritional planning. But you know what happened? And this happened when I was an athlete, and it still happens now, is I'll be doing something like that. I'll be going along. But then, like, let's say I'm in the period where I'm not supposed to be eating, and I've got a speaking engagement, and I feel a little off. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe mentally I feel a little groggy or not quite sharp. And I kind of panic and I think, what if I'm just like, what if my glycogen's low? What if I just need some? <laughs> so, of course, you know, you need six donuts yeah, to get. Of well, that's all that's there, Roberta. <laughs> that's what's available. But you and can I bring need your those food. Car. Ah, the you planning can, ahead. But that's like almost food. planning to fail. Like, I guess I could bring an apple. You so, like, so I'm going to try not to eat this apple, but if I feel like I need mm-hmm. to pick me up, I've got a, yep. I've got an apple. And you can also get, um, like, the ready-to-drinks yeah. that don't require refrigeration. There's a whole bunch of ones on the market, Premier Protein, InsureMax, that are high-protein, low-glycemic, that don't require refrigeration. So if you're out and about, you put your little Yeti in the in your car, throw an ice pack in and put two or three of those drinks in, then you've got what I call rescue nutrition. Mm -hmm. You're in a dilemma. You want to have something, but you don't want to eat your six donuts. So you go with something else. The Yeti is big. Because especially in Texas, because it doesn't matter how hot your car gets, Mm-hmm. It's like that thing's gonna stay cold for thirty six hours. Yep. I've been. I've actually. I've got a Yeti now, and that's helped me a lot. That's that's kept me safe because I've been able to like. <laughs> okay, I can, put, I can put actually chicken in there. Yeah. And it's gonna be okay it's for a while. It's gonna be okay. Right. Okay. So the other studies I keep seeing, and I've known this for a long time, but it just seems like it seems like they keep upping the ante with coffee. Mm-hmm. It feels like for a while <laughs> they're saying, "Wow, you know, two to four cups a day will help you live forever." Yeah. Now it's like you should be drinking nineteen cups of coffee a day. <laughs> And I don't, uh, Roberta, there's got to be an end point at some point. Like, I don't feel like that's actually helped. I've tried that before. I've done that. I feel like it helps me fuel an unhealthy lifestyle. Of course it does because it gets you so amped up, right? And then you need something to bring yourself down. So then that's where the vodka comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the old school baseball way of doing it, right? (laughs) Maybe, maybe. You get your uppers and your downers. There you go. (laughs) But it's with food. So when you think about coffee, coffee is the number one source of antioxidants in the American diet because we drink a lot of it. So I can tell you if you drink some coffee, you're less likely to have liver cancer, you're less likely to have type 2 diabetes. So it's a plant, right? So it's good for you. The problem is the caffeine. And we know genetically people can be fast metabolizers or people are slow metabolizers. So if you said, 
I drink a cup of coffee at 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm wired at 6 o'clock at night, you're pretty much a slow metabolizer. But there are people who can drink five or six cups of coffee and go to bed mm -hmm. and have no problem. So there's that genetic component that we're just learning about. And it always just comes down to, like like everything else with the people you deal with, it's individual. It's individual. Right? It's just like some people can swear that it doesn't affect them. Because I, I never believe those people. The people that believe, like say they can drink mm -hmm. coffee at night and go to sleep because I'm the exact opposite. If I, I drink, can drink coffee and go right to bed. Really? Yeah. Doesn't it? So why Not. do you drink it? Do you, feel, do you get an immediate boost? No, I just like the taste. Quickly? And really? um, if there's not decaf available, that would never be a concern for me. I just to have regular coffee or espresso because I like the way it tastes. So with the antioxidants, I, I, I was listening to somebody talk about this a few weeks ago, and it made a lot of sense. It said you always have to be really careful when you read about any superfood. And I know that's mm, a trigger word for it. you. It's that a lot of times what will happen is, hey, if the Blueberry Council gets together and funds some studies mm -hmm. about blueberries – it's going to find that, oh, wow, this antioxidant-rich food is really good for you. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that blueberries and their antioxidants are necessarily superior to other foods that just haven't had the studies done. You got it. And so uh, here's an example of that. We hear in athletics all the time about tart cherry juice reducing inflammation. They did that original study in horses, and they actually measured inflammatory markers, and, of course, they controlled the diet. If you think by drinking tart cherry juice, you can go out and eat all this fast food and you're going to get a benefit of tart cherry juice, you aren't. So the dilemma becomes is it's part of an overall diet. So I can tell you eating plants, you know, colors of the rainbow, all those other kinds of um, euphemisms that you hear is beneficial. But I really stop short when someone says the new, the new best superfood is grapes or pomegranate because it really has to be part of an overall healthy diet. Mm -hmm. And I think what sports dietitians, um, oftentimes it's underappreciated, is what sports dietitians do is they change the training table. So everything that you could have on that training table would promote health. Okay. So you know when um, we were at the Texans, we had the lean line and the, the other side. It was the same food. One was just cooked with more olive oil. So if somebody needed to gain weight, they could go to the other side, but on the you guys called it the fat side. I didn't. <laughs> On the fat side, it wasn't that we put down fried chicken and all kinds of other unhealthy foods to get guys to gain weight. We just cooked it with more olive oil. Mm -hmm. So the calories were about 250 more per portion of anything that they chose. So the dietitian is the one who controls the training table. Okay. And especially, I guess, if you start talking about superfoods, the allure of somebody just all of a sudden concentrating on that one food Bad plan. compared to... Eating a diversity of food. You got it. Is you always want variety. Yep. Okay, tell me if this is true or not, too. Because you see, this is, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And sometimes, you do. Sometimes, sometimes credible people, sometimes <laughs> not so credible. But this one also made a, sen a, a lot of sense because they were talking about fiber and just how much fiber, you know, primitive societies and ancestral societies ate. And it was yeah. a ridiculously high amount. But it made sense when you started thinking about a hunter gatherer, they were eating upwards of like potentially over the course of a month. 80 to 90 different types of plants. Absolutely. And, and that yeah. makes sense, right? Because right. they were finding different types of roots, mm -hmm. grabbing stuff out of trees. Um, and we probably are down to like the average American eats, what, <laughs> rice, potatoes, and some <laughs> wheat? or something. <laughs> yep. And so if you look at the average American diet, we're probably sitting at about 10 to 13 grams of fiber a day. Minimum is probably 30, 35, depending on gender, et cetera. The minimum recommended is yeah, 30 to 35. Yeah. When you look at the hunter-gatherers, um, the Maasai tribe and other people like that, they're eating 75 to 100 grams per day. Wow. 
And so no constipation, very little GI disease because they're actually giving the gut what it needs to function well. So thorough cleansing every day, right? Yeah. And not with a rubber hose up your rear end or a (laughs) detox tea. It's, it's with real food. Does that, does that amount of fiber, which I know you can't just recommend somebody go out and just all of a sudden start taking a hundred grams of fiber a day. Does it, does it almost kind of wipe the slate clean for a lot of other potentially bad dietary habits? I don't think it does that. I think what it actually does is feed the really good bacteria that live there and, that gut microbiome, I think we're just scratching the surface of what we understand about it. Yeah. But clearly, the fiber is a prebiotic. It feeds the probiotic. It feeds the good bacteria. So the American diet being, as you said, rice and potatoes and maybe uh, an occasional whole grain something, we're way woefully low. And if you talk to physicians, they see a lot of people with irritable bowel and all kinds of other GI diseases that are actually, they're just not taking in enough fiber. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm glad you mentioned the gut because that's the part I almost don't even like delving into because it gets so overwhelming so fast. Because I noticed, you know, 10 years ago, it was prebiotics, probiotics. Wow, look at how good this can be for you. And it seemed like the researchers themselves started to realize, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's way more going on here than we even suspected at first. Yep. And yep. that it's communicating with your body. They're communicating with each other. It might be linked to these diseases. It's definitely linked to these diseases, but you don't know with how. with your brain, right. You don't know just just by improving the gut bacteria doesn't improve health or is it vice versa. And it's just, it's just it just seems like there's millions of possibilities where they could go with that. Millions of possibilities. And that's where nutrition people like myself and my colleagues We've always tried to distill it down to, as you said, superfoods and some of these top things rather than saying, you know what, we're meant to eat a wide variety of foods. We're meant to eat plants. Sorry for the keto people. We're meant to eat plants. There's some benefits of doing that, but we can't just isolate it and say, aha, this probiotic culture is the one that you should take. We know that there's over known somewhere in the range of over 600 species of healthy bacteria really don't have a clue what a lot of them do, but they're there for a purpose. Mm-hmm. They're there for a purpose. So again, fiber, fruits and vegetables, throw in some yogurt, sauerkraut, kimchi to get some some probiotics from your, your food, from fermented foods, and stop trying to micromanage it with something from the supplement store. That you're right, that you're not going to be able to all of a sudden no. reverse engineer your own gut. No. And nobody knows how to do it yet. Like Correct. <laughs> they think they've, they've got ideas yeah. for how they might want to do it. Okay, last uh, quote-unquote superfood question. This is kind of in line with the caffeine thing because I know, like, because I would drink, I would drink thirty cups of coffee a day if I. <laughs> and you don't need it. No, I definitely. I know that's the weirdest thing. I don't need it at all. But I'm like, I, I need more. Um, but then the other recommendations I get are like, hey, pretty much drink as much alcohol as you want, and as long as you're not an alcoholic, you're fine. Like two thumbs up. Okay, I, I know after a certain amount, you've 
increased your chance for liver and kidney disease. Oh, yeah, all kinds but, of diseases. But, like, what are the – and you have to be especially careful because you can't just recommend to somebody without knowing, like, their past, right? Right. Hey, go drink a bunch of liquor. Yeah. But <laughs> – Probably wouldn't do what that. Are the, what are the studies showing right now? When we talk about alcohol, alcohol is a carcinogen. Yeah. And so as your alcohol intake goes up, you're at risk of different forms of cancer, esophageal cancer, um, prostate cancer in men, breast cancer in women – so although it may taste good and is some of them like red wine, you know, obviously has some antioxidants in it, there becomes a point where your body looks at it as poison. Societally, we don't. So if you look at the current recommendations from like the American Cancer Society, it's two drinks a day for men and one for women. Well, what is a normal drink? Oh, right. Because most people hear two drinks and they're not. So two like solo that. cups of, you know. Rum and Coke, yeah. where you actually have five shots of alcohol. And you know from your teammates, we had a lot of guys who <laughs> were over over consumers. I don't know. So every now and then, one of the guys would get on the plane with like this, <laughs> like a, a size of a bottle I've never seen before <laughs> of, of vodka or, or whiskey or something. And it would be gone by the end of the trip. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and uh, our very uh, fun friend strength coach would bring out things that he would write iced tea. Uh-huh. on it and it was you know some kind of cola and alcohol but it was now the color of iced tea but he'd write iced tea <laughs> on it and hand it to somebody i think that's like a gallon dude that's a <laughs> gallon so obviously over over consumption um the practical things about not drinking and driving some amount of alcohol will actually reduce your risk of high blood pressure and reduce your risk of heart disease so that's where it gets gets the the pub from but those organizations, American Heart, will say, if you don't drink, don't start. Right. But if you do drink, realize that there is some benefit on the front end. But afterwards, it's a pretty big, steep curve in terms of cardiovascular risk. It seems like the classic, uh, the classic rule that you can apply to almost everything, which is moderation is key. But with alcohol... Which is boring as hell, right? Right. Yeah, right. It's Which boring. Which is boring. It's true. It's just with alcohol, you've got a lower risk of error or yeah. lower margin for error. And if you've had cancer, probably yeah. not a really great idea to start consuming lar lar large amounts of alcohol. So, um, again, society likes us to come up with reasons why we can overconsume because it justifies our behavior, right? What is the scariest trend you're seeing right now? I'd say with the athletes and then maybe also if it's a different one, just with the population at large. Um. I think the scariest trend that I'm seeing with athletes is probably one that most people don't think about. I think the the way that athletes are getting their information about supplements and what they should take is not from people who know anything. They get it from an agent. They get it from a trainer that trained them in high school and said, well, I never had anybody have a positive drug test. Right. And so I've said for a long time, I think um, agents need some continuing education on you just can't go out and recommend anything just because somebody else told you it was a good idea. So I've said this to you before, about 80% of the positive drug tests I've seen in sport come from dietary supplements. And now as I track down, where did you get that from? It's somebody that trained him in high school. It's their agent. And so it's like, dude, they you know, should know better. By they now. should, they should know better by now. Right. You know, they, the, the problem is, and it's interesting. I don't know if you had told me 80% before, because I think the knee jerk reaction from anybody when they hear, that an athlete is blaming a supplement is like, well, he's lying. He's just, that's the easy right. excuse. Right. And the problem is that the athlete, if he could, if he, if he, he could disclose the results if he wanted to. Right. But usually it's tainted with 
something that's an actual steroid yeah. or something that's a banned substance. Yeah. It's not like just always an over-the-counter something. Right, but it's an illegal substance. So it doesn't look it doesn't look any more convincing. It doesn't look any more convincing and I, I understand the need to protect confidentiality what the, the substance was, but when I actually have delved into it with a couple guys who have tested positive, it's impressive. It's like, why did you take that? Right. Uh, just because it says natural testosterone booster and it's on bodybuilding.com, that should be every red flag that you could ever see. But I get it. Guys want an advantage. They want to extend their career. They want to be the best. So the really competitive people, really people who are super competitive, are oftentimes victimized by the latest trend. And I think it's worse. I think the supplement industry is worse in 2019 than I've ever seen it. Really? Yeah. And it's strange because there is, I know people like saying it's unregulated. It's more regulated now than it used to be. It's but The regulation's been there. The problem is there's not enough enforcement right. of those regulations. And so I could take you to any health food store in Houston and buy you stuff that would cause you to fail a drug test. And right now... The stuff that I'm seeing online is the the SARMs, selective yes. androgen receptor, receptor modulators, yep, which are basically, I mean, they're they're dressed up and presented as like, hey, it's all the benefits of steroids, but with no downside whatsoever, yeah. which I I disagree with. Yeah. Um, but also that they're available. Like they're, they're available. On their, they're not legal, but they're not illegal, and they're gonna give you the benefits of steroids. Correct. And it's, so we're right back to 25 years ago. Yep. When it was Andro. Right. Which is less effective than this new stuff, the the Osterine and all yeah. that. Yeah. And it's and it's right. I like. I feel like we haven't learned anything, or at least athletes themselves haven't learned anything, even though it's been around. This has been an issue for 30, 40 years. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm clearly not anti-supplement. Yeah. Um, there's flat out stuff that works. Creatine flat out works. Doesn't cause kidney damage. Doesn't do any of the things that everybody advertises. You can get about an eight percent increase in strength by using creatine and using it in an appropriate way. Creatine is also really great for your brain. Um, because your brain has its own isomer of creatine. So creatine, natural production of creatine decreases as you age. So why wouldn't you want to replace it? So there are things that you can do. I think it's almost in athletics that, okay, your sports dietitian doesn't really know anything or he or she is going to tell you don't do that. To me, it's like, why don't you do this instead? Tell me what your goals are. Why don't you do this instead? Mm -hmm. And then, honestly, you have to have a kick-butt strength coach that can help you in the weight room maximize your gains. But that trend really worries me because now it filters down to high school kids and I'll have high school kids come into my office and I said, if you want to play D1 anything, you're going to fail a drug test by taking that. Mm -hmm. From day one, right. you're going to fail a drug right. test. And it's you've like, got that scarlet letter uh, S exactly. on, your, on your chest. Exactly. And so to me, it's, you know, and it's, it makes me upset and sad and all those things all at one time that the perception the public has is if you test positive, you stuck a needle in your butt and I hope you get caught. And that's true. There are people that do that, but my experience has been no. It is, and it's funny because yeah, for a while there, when Belco was yeah. was a thing, it was some guy that called himself a doctor and was injecting, and now it's it's become almost more insidious because they're not even calling themselves doctors, and it's but it's a more like hey, you can't lose. You can't lose. And it is tempting. I've been in that situation where, you know, you got some dude that you met at a gym. Who's really, really bright. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times it is. It's very bright individuals really bright. that are telling you this stuff. And it's all backed kind of by science. He gave me a packet of papers. Mm -hmm. But you, and most guys aren't going to dig into it. You know, Belco. So Belco was the Bay Area Laboratory Cooperative right. that did Barry Bonds and some mm -hmm. of the Oakland Raiders, all this stuff. I, I actually started off talking to Belco a little bit because the way they presented themselves to athletes was that they were going to do a 24-hour urinalysis 
of your of your system of your urine yeah. and tell you what you're deficient in. Yeah. So it was like it cost like twenty five hundred dollars, something ridiculous. Yep. And what they told me was, okay, don't take any vitamins for two weeks. Don't take any of your supplements. Then we'll do this urinalysis, and then we'll tell you what we need, what you need. And my first thought was like, well, no, I'm going to take my multivitamin yeah. at least because it's cheap. <laughs> and then maybe I'll pay you 2500 and tell me what yeah. you're like. I don't need to know like what might be cured because then, of course, the regimen they put you on that's up front is like, oh, they're going to give you a tailored multivitamin. And then what's it, what what happens after that was they gave you the cream or the clear. clear right. So thank God I was skeptical to begin with. Yeah. Because I would have, oh, you got this cream? Yeah, hell yeah, I'll put it on. <laughs> and I would have been all pro and I would have been my, <laughs> no, my, my granddaughter would be looking up my name on, on the internet. I don't need that. Or you could be in jail. Yeah, exactly. And that's how they or could find that's you. That's true, you, yeah. could, you could be in jail. Because oh, I would have lied about it for sure. <laughs> I would have protected the dude. I would have done all that stuff. So uh, the... The neuroprotective stuff, because you mentioned that a little bit uh, with, oh, no, creatine. Creatine. You didn't mention it directly, but when you brought up creatine, mm-hmm. I thought about the fact that, yeah, they're, they're finding, right, that creatine post-brain injury yes. might actually help. Yeah, you see it, and we've seen it for a long time in um, hospitalized patients that if somebody has Parkinson's disease, they may benefit from uh, creatine supplementation. So um, I'm very fortunate at Rice. I write all the protocols, right? And it's similar to what I did for the Texans and do for the Astros, is I'll look at the science and say, if you have X, here's the way I want you to eat, and here are some additional supplements. So for overall brain health, we certainly know, obviously, plant-based diets, all the natural antioxidants. You know I'm a big fan of fish oil. If I were to give you fish oil and say, hey, where does this stuff go? 70% of it goes to your brain. So you really want to have adequate amounts of cold water fish in your diet. But now we can take a look at vitamin D. We can take a look at creatine and say these may also be players in neurodegenerative diseases. But a lot of that is coming from the concussion literature. Mm -hmm. Fitness trackers. Yeah. I wear a Fitbit. Me too. You wear a Fitbit. Yes. Are you seeing effectiveness with those, like on a large scale? No. Not at all. It's weird. No, because I think most people don't know what their goal is. Okay. So I run a, a diabetes prevention program for Baylor, and I'll have someone come in and say, this is awesome. I got 3,000 steps yesterday. That's, like, that's pretty low, right? That's beyond sedentary. Yeah. So the number is big, so people make the assumption that it's great. Oh. They make the assumption that it's great. If you want to lose weight, if you want to lose body fat, you need between fifteen and 20,000 steps a day. Yeah. And probably, with again, with the ones that I'm wearing, it doesn't really measure intensity to the degree that it should. You can watch heart rate go up, but I don't know how... How I don't great know. that is. Yeah. And calories burned too. I've no, found. never. For me, it overestimates them. Overestimates them. It was telling me that I could have been losing weight on like 5,000 calories right. a day. And I tried it and it did not work. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you well, believe the, the Fitbit. Well, for science. I had to experiment <laughs> so I did it for science. I, I could see why on a large scale it doesn't work. I think like for me personally, what I've noticed is I think psychologically it's helped me because I've walked more. I've taken more walks in the park in my neighborhood yep. where you end up running into the, like a little old lady that needs help with her dog or something. Yeah. yeah. And like, so I've had more social interactions. So all those non dietary things or non weight loss things, just quality of life. I felt like it's helped because I like, I go out for a walk in the park and my mental health improves. I sleep better that night. Absolutely. You know, and I don't know if I could quantify it, but I'm happy that I have it. I'm happy that I have it because I'd like something that holds me accountable. Mm-hmm. So I could think I have a really busy day at the end of the day. I've only got 12,000 steps and it's like, eh, 
okay, so I'm going to go walk the dog again, or I'm going to go and do something else and go outside for a while. So it can make you a little bit obsessive. Mm -hmm. It can make you a little bit obsessive, but if you're using it for good to say, I'm going to just increase my physical activity, I think they can be helpful. Um, in people who have eating disorders, it could be horribly unhelpful. Right. Oh, uh, for anybody that's obsessive yes. about things yes. and is going to take it to the nth degree, right? Yeah, I've had, I've had students tell me, well, I only had 8,000 steps. So I decided to go walk the rice loop at 1130 at night. And I said, yeah, that's probably not terribly safe. Uh -huh. So why don't you not do that? Why don't you try and get your exercise a little earlier in the day? That reminds me, I was reading this book. It's, you might be able to think of it before I actually come up with it on my phone. Oh, David Sedaris. So David Sedaris wrote this, uh, he, he, he wrote this little short essay about his Fitbit. Mm -hmm. And he, it sounds like he must be obsessive because he was getting <laughs> to the point where he was, I think he was 60,000 steps a day. Yeah. And it, it got to the point where it was affecting his life. Right. Because <laughs> he was. Because that's all you're doing. That, that's all you're right. Yeah. He was, well, he was picking up litter, though. He won a commendation for picking up litter because oh. he was walking, you know, oh. 20 miles a day picking up litter. Well, he was also listening. He's an author, so he's listening yeah. to audiobooks and probably coming up with ideas. Maybe it was good for him. And then I ran into one of our listeners who's a mailman, and he actually got the job. He became a mailman so he could lose weight. And he wore a, a, a Fitbit, Fitbit, and he was getting a ridiculous number. I want to say like 30,000, 40,000 steps a day. And he lost a ton of weight immediately. Because that's, that's the one lesson I've really learned, Roberta, since I've been done playing football. It took me about like five to ten years to really genuinely learn it. And it's the value of walking. Like just... Just walking. Walk because it's sustainable. Right. You'll do it every day. You can do it when you're tired without risking injury. Yep. And, and along the lines of getting enough sleep at night, how it limits your eating window. If I'm walking for an hour, I'm generally not eating for exactly. an hour as long exactly. as I don't walk past the kolache shop. <laughs> it's very, very important not to walk past the kolache shop. You have to plan your walks, right? <laughs> you have to plan them. No, I think um, the, the benefits of walking, people always think that they have to do something high intensity and maybe they hate it so they don't do anything. But the value of walking, being out in nature, all those other kinds of things, really important, even though it's hotter than blazes here, being outside is a good is a good thing. I'm going to let you go uh, because I always I always do this with you. I end up coming up with more questions as you talk because you're so interesting. So on Twitter, you yes, are? at Roberta Anding. And on Instagram, you are? Roberta Anding. And on Facebook? Roberta Anding. Okay. <laughs> Good for you. You locked it down so early. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I have to remember it, so it's easier yeah. for me to remember you know, it. The thing is, I tried to get it before anybody else was on the Internet. There's one Seth Payne out there who's a really bright Mormon dude who is like <laughs> – like uh, he's some kind of economist slash like went to Yale Divinity School. Oh, and he has wow. SethPain.com. The benefit is that people come to his website and they're like, wow, Seth, I didn't know you were so <laughs> pious and intelligent. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Awesome. Just, yeah. <laughs> he writes these Scoreboard brilliant me. essays about <laughs> all this stuff. So thank you, Roberta. I really appreciate it. Thank you. you a lot in. of fun. Always. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 